0: amen, you can go ahead and uh, grab a seat. Hope you've had a, a great weekend. Thankful to, to see you here today. And uh, if you and I have not had a chance to meet, we haven't had a chance to connect. My name is Matthew, and I serve as the teaching pastor here at LifePoint Westerville. And if today's your first time visiting us, first time checking us out, we're so thankful that you chose to spend your Sunday with us. And we'd love for an opportunity just to connect with you, to get to know you a bit. And the easiest way for you to do that Take out your smartphone, and there's a QR code on the seat backs in front of you. If you'll scan that, there's a little uh, section called Guest Info, and if you'll complete that, we'll actually make a $5 donation to one of our local ministry partners. There's a list on there that you can select from, and there's also a section called Notes that you can follow along with during today's message that may be, be helpful for you as well. So we are in the, uh, the midway uh, part of our series called Exiles, where we're journeying through the, the book of Daniel together, the first half of the book, and our series really revolves around the lives of these four young men. Daniel and his his three friends. And these guys, when they were teenagers, they were taken as uh, prisoners, as exiles from their home in Judah into the the Babylonian Empire. They were put into this three-year training program. And at the end of the three years, they entered into the king's service where they would spend the rest of their their life serving the, the king of Babylon. And these guys, as Israelites living in this foreign land, were forced to figure out how to navigate life in a culture that was really at odds with their values and their beliefs as Israelites. So today, we're continuing our story, and we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to be discussing something um, that is relevant for every single one of us in this room. Whether um, you are single or married, you're in your teens, you're in your 30s, you're in your your 70s or or older. uh, This is something that's relevant for all of us. And we're going to be talking about walking through trials that test our faith in God. Walking through trials that that test our our faith in God. And whether you are, are new to faith... Uh, maybe this is something that's been new over the last few months or maybe a couple of years, uh, or you've been walking with Jesus for decades now, or maybe you would say, man, I'm not even sure that I have faith. Wherever you are on the faith spectrum, we all face seasons and situations in life that cause us to, 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 to have questions that test our faith and our trust in God. And the question that we have to think about is, okay, how do we respond When our faith is tested, when we walk through a season, when we walk through a situation that causes us to have questions and maybe even have doubts and have fears, how do we respond when our faith is put to the test? So last week, we saw how King Nebuchadnezzar, he was having this this dream. It was almost more like a nightmare. He wasn't able to to sleep at night. And in this dream, he sees this, this massive statue made of these different metals And all of a sudden, this stone kind of appears out of nowhere, comes and crushes the the statue. And then that stone begins to grow into this mountain that fills the entire earth. And he's having this dream. He has no idea what it means. He has no idea what it, it represents. But he finds out that this guy, Daniel, is able to interpret the dream for him. And he brings Daniel in to interpret it. And Daniel begins to explain to him, hey, here's what the statue means. Here's what the stone represents. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, Daniel says this. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. So this vision that King Nebuchadnezzar was having was really foreshadowing. It was a picture of the future, and that stone represented Jesus and the kingdom of God. It was pointing to the first coming of Jesus when he would come and would inaugurate his kingdom here on earth. This baby, this Messiah, would be born right in the heart of the Roman Empire. But it also points us to the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus is going to return again and firmly establish his eternal kingdom. And he's going to crush all the kingdoms, all the empires of the world. So King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, this great empire, hears this interpretation from Daniel about how his kingdom's not going to last forever. And listen to how he responds. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell down before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering, and incense, be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery." So the king recognized in this moment, man, Daniel's God is different than the gods of Babylon. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of kings. And he understood, okay, my empire, my kingdom, it's not going to last forever. No, God is going to establish an eternal kingdom that will crush the kingdoms of the earth. And at this point, when you're reading it, you feel like, man, we're making some progress here. Like, God is at work in the king's life. God is up to something. God is really working in the king's heart. Maybe he's ready to really believe and trust and follow the God of Daniel. But listen to what he does next. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all the kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So you see that the the king, he quickly forgets what God has revealed to him. Despite having this dream where he sees a statue being destroyed, what does he do? He goes and constructs his own statue of gold and commands everyone in Babylon, regardless of what nation or language or tribe they're from, to come and to fall down and worship this image of gold. And anyone who refuses to do so, they will be thrown into a blazing furnace. So the image is constructed, the music is played, and of course, everyone falls down and, and worships this image of gold because they don't want to be thrown into the, into the furnace. You can kind of understand where, where they're coming from. But there were three men who refused to bow down and worship the image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's three friends that we saw back in week one. And somebody rightly pointed out after last service, where was Daniel in all of this? I'm not quite sure. I don't know the answer to that. I, I can't believe that he was bowing down and worshiping uh, the image, because in a couple of weeks, we're gonna see him thrown into a lion's den. Uh, so I don't know how he was exempt from this, uh, but he didn't have to worry about it. But Daniel, uh, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to compromise their beliefs And their convictions. And when the king found out about this, he was not happy. In fact, it says that he was furious with rage. So he brought these three young men before him and began to question them, did you really not bow down and worship the image? Are you not listening to to what I'm saying? He says, I'm going to give you one more opportunity. He goes, dad on them. You have one more chance. You bow down and worship the image or I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And listen to how they respond verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, teenage boys talking to the most powerful man in the world, replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into this blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And you have to admire just the level of faith and confidence that these young men showed. They firmly believed that God would deliver them from this situation. They firmly believed that God would honor their obedience to him. And the reason they so believed that is because of what they had already seen. God had already come through for them in the past. God had been faithful to them. They had seen God show up over and over throughout their lives. But then they tell the king this, verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I love that. Even if he doesn't. Even if God doesn't come through the way that we hope that he will, we will not worship your gods and we will not bow down to your image of gold. You see, their faith in God was not tied to a particular outcome. They were willing to obey regardless of the result, regardless of how things ended up, even if it meant that it was going to cost them their lives. And you see, as as followers of of Jesus, I believe that this is the, the kind of faith That we're called to have an even if faith. A faith that says, even if God doesn't answer my prayer the way that I want Him to, even if God doesn't come through according to my plan and my timeline and my desires, even if obeying God is going to cost me, I will trust. And I will believe and I will follow regardless of the outcome, regardless of the result. My faith is not about what happens. My faith is about honoring the Lord. And here you see these young men standing firm in their faith, even if it means costing them their lives. They were not going to back down to the pressure that they were facing from the king. And at this point, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he hits his breaking point. He is ticked. These 15-year-old kids are telling him, it does not matter. We're not going to bow down and worship your image of gold. And he has the furnace heated seven times hotter than normal. He ties the young men up, and he has them thrown into the fire. You know, I think there's a a common misconception, particularly in, in Western Christianity, that having faith means that you won't have difficulty in life, that God just wants to bless you, God doesn't want you to struggle, and if you will just trust in him, then your life will be easy and pain-free. And if you are facing challenges in your life, if you are walking through seasons of difficulty, it's because you don't have enough faith, you aren't believing, you aren't trusting enough. They would say more faith equals less trials. But here's the the problem with, with that version of faith. This story shows us something very different. These guys are not thrown into the fire because they lack faith. They're thrown into the fire because they won't compromise their faith. They aren't facing trials because they don't have enough faith. Their faith is the reason for their trials. And what you see here is more faith actually equals more trials. And here's what I believe we need to understand today. Following Jesus, committing our lives to him, doesn't mean that we're gonna have an easy life without pain and without difficulty. That's not what Jesus offered to us. That's never what he promised to us. In fact, the Bible teaches us, I would say, the complete opposite of that. In the Bible, what we see in the New Testament is Jesus' closest followers, his closest friends, suffered all kinds of trials, And following Jesus actually increased the likelihood of difficulty and trials and suffering in their life. More faith equals more trials. So much so that Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter one. He said, in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that The proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, Peter was was one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of his closest friends. And he was a man that was familiar with all kinds of trials and suffering. He was persecuted and eventually put to death because of his faith in Jesus But here in 1 Peter, he's reminding us that the trials that you and I walk through, the seasons of difficulty we find ourselves in, they're not random. And they're not wasted. They they have a purpose. God is, is using them. He says, these have come so that. So what is the purpose for our trials? What do trials do for us? I think they they do a number of different things, but for the next couple of minutes, I want to look at two things that I believe trials do in our life. First one is this, is that trials, they reveal our faith. They reveal our faith. Peter says that trials prove the genuineness of our faith. Trials have the ability to, to test our faith in a way that, that nothing else can because they reveal and they expose what our faith is made of. Listen, it's, it's easy to follow Jesus when, when life is good, isn't it? Like when we've got a great job that's paying all the bills and our kids are healthy and we've got a good marriage, like when life is going well, when life is going according to plan, it's easy to have faith. But what about when things get difficult or when things don't go our way? How do we respond then? Do we stand firm in our faith and remain grounded and rooted in in what we believe? Or does our faith begin to crack and begin to crumble under the weight of the trial that that we're facing? You see, I, I believe that we can't truly know how genuine our faith is until our faith has been tested, until we walk through trials in life. Now, I'm not suggesting, this is not the application, that you go out seeking a trial, that you self-sabotage in order to to have your your, your faith tested. I don't think you need to worry about doing that uh, because trials in life are inevitable. Uh, If you've been following Jesus more than probably six months, you realize, man, you're going to face trials in life. But when you face trials, and you will, Recognize that it is a time of testing, that it's going to reveal the quality and the substance of your faith. And here's what you'll find. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that has been tested. It's a faith that can be trusted. Like when you see somebody in life, when they walk through a trial, when they walk through a difficult season, and they come out on the other side still believing, still trusting, still following Jesus, you know that their faith is the real deal. You know their faith is legit. I'm sure you can think of people in your life who maybe walked through a a cancer diagnosis an unexpected loss in their family, a season of of infertility, an unexpected job loss. They walked through a difficult season and it doesn't mean that they walked through it just smiling the whole time, pretending like there wasn't a problem. And they had doubts, they had questions, they wrestled with God, they were hurting, they were struggling, but they walked through that season and they came out still believing, still trusting, still following Jesus. When you see that, When you see that faith that's been tested, you know that faith can be trusted. You know what that faith is made of. Trials have the unique ability to reveal our faith. They expose, they shine a light on what our faith is made of. But secondly, trials refine our faith. Peter uses this analogy of fire and gold. And in those days, a blacksmith, he would take gold He'd put it into, into the fire, and what would happen is as the gold would begin to melt, the impurities in the gold would begin to surface and float to the, to the top. And the blacksmith would come and, and remove and scoop out those impurities, and as the gold began to, to cool, what you would find is you had a pure piece of gold. The gold became more valuable because it went through the fire. And Peter says, look, it, it, the same is true when it comes to our faith. He says, as followers of Jesus, the, the most valuable thing that we have is our faith. He says, it's of greater worth than gold. But even the most genuine, authentic faith still has impurities in it. It still has things in it that, that, doesn't, that don't honor the Lord. Things like self-reliance, apathy, pride, selfishness, and just like gold, these impurities in our faith are removed by going through fire. And trials are the fire for our faith. They burn away the impurities, the things in our life that don't honor the Lord. And I believe that we cannot be all that God has designed, created, and called us to be without walking through trials, without being put into the fire. And here's why. Because true transformation comes when the temperature rises. Change, growth, transformation. It happens when we experience pain and discomfort. Now, I don't believe that, that pain is the goal of the trial. I don't think that that's how God works, that he's trying to hurt us. He's trying to do things that, that cause pain in our life. But pain is necessary to purify us and to grow us. And trials have the unique ability to do that. They expose in our heart, in our faith, in our life, things that don't honor the Lord. And as those things begin to surface, if we will allow God, he can begin to remove those things from our life. But it requires going through the fire. Trials, they, they reveal our faith, they refine our faith. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had their faith tested. Their faith was literally put through the fire. And when their faith was tested, it revealed, it exposed that their faith was real. Their faith was genuine. But look at what happens next. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, hey, weren't weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Like, I I know I'm not great at math, but I'm counting and and, and I'm, I'm not seeing three. And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He says, no, 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 look, I see four men walking around in the fire. Unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So the King is, is sitting here watching these men. I mean, it shows you how messed up he is, watching these men being thrown into this furnace, waiting for them to die. And he sees this fourth man walking around them in with them, unharmed, unbound. And who is that fourth man? Most scholars believe that the fourth man was Jesus. And this is an example of a Christophany. That's a fancy theological word and term, but it means a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity, <clears throat> Meaning pre-incarnate, meaning before Jesus came to earth, where he celebrated at Christmas, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Now, Jesus has always existed. He didn't just show up 2,000 years ago in, in Bethlehem. He has always existed. And there are several examples throughout the Old Testament where Jesus appears, where Jesus shows up. But here's what I want us to notice. Look when Jesus chooses to appear. He doesn't show up while they're taking a stand for their faith. He doesn't show up when they're talking with the king. He shows up when they're already in the fire. He shows up in the middle of their trial when their situation seemed completely hopeless. You know, we we know from scripture that God is is always with us, that he promises to, to never leave us, to never forsake us, that he's with us in the good, he's with us in the bad, But if you've ever walked through a a trial before, you know that God becomes the most real to us in the middle of our trials. God becomes the most evident in our pain. And when you're in the middle of a trial, when you're in the middle of a season of, of, of hurt, you have the opportunity To see and to experience Jesus in a brand new way, in a way that frankly isn't possible when life is going good, when life is easy. Because when you're in the fire, man, you learn to depend on God in a way that you never have before. And you start to realize in those seasons that not only is God all that you have, but God is all that you need in those seasons, And you will never walk closer to Jesus than you do in the the middle of a trial. So rather than ignoring the trials that we face, some of us, we, we go through a trial, we put our head in the sand and we try to block it out and pretend it's not there. Rather than ignoring it, Or rather than trying to rush through our trial and get through it and get done as quickly as possible, what if we used our trials and saw them as an opportunity to see Jesus in a new way, to experience him in a greater way than we ever have before, and to deepen our relationship with him? Jesus meets us in the middle of the fire. He's closest to us. He's most real to us in our seasons of hurt. Jesus showed up and met them in the fire. And listen to how the story finishes, verse 26 and 27. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and prefects and governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They were in disbelief. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. You know, each week in, in this series, we, we've seen Daniel and his friends living out their faith. And they've done so while surrounded by, by non-believers, by people who didn't believe in or worship their God. But each week, their faith, their obedience to God has resulted in people turning and recognizing who God is. And here, their faithfulness in the fire resulted in God being praised and God being glorified, which is why Peter told us back in in, in verse seven, these have come, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Listen, I, I don't know man, what, what each of you are, are walking through today. I don't know what all of you have, have carried in here with you. I think we do a good job in church of showing up on a Sunday, putting on our happy face, pretending it's all fine. You know, We've got it all together and some of you, you're walking in right now with some some real hurt. You're walking through a really tough season. Maybe something in your marriage, something with your kids, something with your health, something with your job, and you're hurting, and you're wondering why, and you've got a lot of doubts, you've got a lot of questions, you've got a lot of struggles. Here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Your greatest trial has the potential to be your greatest testimony if you will allow it to be. Your season that, that, that you walk through that you just can't, can't imagine and that you wanna be done with has the potential to be your greatest testimony because when you walk through the fire and you come out on the other side with scars but still believing still trusting, still following Jesus. It points people to to Jesus in a way that nothing else can. To me, it is the, the loudest and clearest testimony of who God is. It says, I will worship, I will trust, I will follow, even if. It's a testament of who God is and what he's done in your life. Listen, God doesn't always deliver us from the fire, but God always walks with us through the fire. He meets us in the middle of our deepest hurt and our deepest pain. He takes us by the hand and day by day walks with us. And he uses our, our trials, he uses our, our pain to, to refine us, to grow us. And if we will allow that refining process to happen in our, in our life, if we will allow those impurities in our, in our heart and our faith to be exposed and to be removed, God will use Our trials as a testimony of his goodness and his faithfulness in our life. And it will speak volumes to a lost world of the goodness of our God, of the faithfulness of our God. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Man, today I want to do something a, a little unique. Just going to ask for a moment of, of courage, a moment of, of even maybe a little bit of vulnerability from, from you all. But if you would say, hey, t- today, man, yeah, I'm walking through through the fire. I'm, I'm in a season of hurt. I'm in a season of pain. I, I, I'm struggling right now. I'm hurting right now. Man, I just want to ask you right now, wherever you're seated, just to, to lift up your, your hand, wherever you're seated, just say, man, I'm, I'm walking through that season right now. And we got hands all over the room. You can go ahead and put your hand back down. I just wanna take a moment just to, to pray, to pray for you to pray God's blessing, God's encouragement, God's peace, God's work in your life. God, we, we declare, God, that you are not only in control, but that you're also good. And I know in a room this size, there, there are many right now who are, who are hurting marriages, families, health, finances, and, and, and there's many of us who are just wondering why, and we're, we're not sure why you're allowing us through this. God, I pray that you would remind us today of, of your goodness, of your faithfulness, even in those moments that, that hurt, even in those moments that, that seem hopeless. And God, my prayer is that on our end, Lord, that we would respond in just a, a posture of humility God, to what you're allowing in our life right now. That you would use these um, trials, God, to not only reveal our faith, God, but to refine us. To give us the awareness of, of things in our life, impurities in our faith, God, that you need to do a work on, that you need to remove from our life. God, help us to be honest. Help us to be real about that. But Lord, we thank you for the promise that although you may not prevent every fire in our life. God, that you meet us right in the middle of our deepest hurt and our deepest pain. God, that you are so real. You are so evident in those times. God, you're not only all that we have, you are all that we need. God, help us to lean on you with greater dependence and greater faith today. God, we thank you for the promise that for those of us who know you, who have been called according to your purpose, that you are working all things together for our good, for your glory. God, remind us of that today and may our faith and trials, God, be a testimony of your goodness and your faithfulness to us. May it speak to our neighbors and our friends and our family and tell them of your goodness, Lord. So Jesus, we love you and we ask all of this in your name today. Amen.